if you have a milkshake. And I have a milkshake. And I have a straw. There it is. That's a straw, you see. Watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. What's up, everybody? We are podcasting to you on playoff weekend, Saturday and Sunday. We've got a bunch of fun NFL playoff matchups. But we're not going to talk much about those. We're going to talk about mostly the Texas Longhorns, and then we're probably going to finish with uh, the perennial, almost eternal disappointment in my life over the last two and a half decades. That's the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones, because uh, they did it to me again, Kevin. And we're going to save that to the end so you can make me angry and sad, and uh, you can rub it in as a 49ers fan. Yeah, that should be fun. That should be fun. I'll just make sure that I utilize Debo and only Debo and still still make you pissed off. Uh, well, we're going to talk about Debo because there's never been a wide receiver like him. He is a unique guy. And I'll tell you another unique guy. That's Gabe Winslow. This guy's been with us from the start. We literally have dozens of customer satisfaction reviews and emails about people telling me about how Gabe went above and beyond for them to secure them a, a great mortgage loan, a great rate to deal with issues that come up, survey title, all the nonsense that comes up. Hey, Gabe has great advice. He has a great perspective. He's sharper than the average bear, that's for sure. And he's great at solving problems creatively for all of your debt, whatever form it may take by using your house. You can reach Gabe to learn about some of those solutions at 832-557-1095 or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Here's a little, little bug I wanted to put in everyone's ear. And this a little bit of a narrow cast to some of our listeners who've seen a bunch of appreciation in their home. Probably those of you in Austin and uh, parts of Dallas or, you know, maybe out in the country. The, the appreciations hit everywhere in Texas. But as you know, the new conforming loan limits are up to $647,000. That's great. But if you are in jumbo territory higher than that and you're looking at a refi, right now, Gabe has access because he's got access to 100 different lenders. He's got access to multiple lenders who are doing seven and 10 year arms. And that rate, we can't promise you anything, but it's going to have a two in front of it. And that is phenomenal in the current environment where interest rates are rising. So if you fit into that category and you're looking at a refi, you want to extract a bunch of capital out of your home and do something with that appreciation, this is a great time to do it. And the beauty of a seven and 10 year arm is it gives you enough risk mitigation that you can get out of it. You're not going to get stuck. And you, of course, can refi out of that at any time when the rates get more favorable or even resemble the current scenario. So Gabe will do a much better job at talking to you through these points. Reach out to him, whatever your needs, and uh, he'll be happy to talk to you. 832-557-1095. That's mortgagesbygabe.com. Yeah, so apparently the market uh, it had a couple bad days, and there was uncertainty about those rates and what the Fed Fed was going to do. So uh, we keep on saying now's the time to do it. Now is the time to do it. Now's the time to do it, and now's the time to do it for the Texas Longhorns and Steve Sarkeesian, and particularly doing it through the portal. Texas had a couple of additions that are very nice additions in the portal, and a couple of misses, and a couple of things that maybe are queued up, and we're going to see. You know, I, I think we've talked about the portal before, and I said it's tough because you don't know who to jump on. You don't know how long to keep your powder dry. We agreed that Drew Sanders was a guy. There's no keeping the powder dry. You, you go after him full court press and try to get him. There's other players that come in. And you're always wondering if you're going to get an upgrade just a week later, a, a month later, of a guy who could be a better fit. Texas has added a couple of players. They missed on a couple. Kevin, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are obviously I, I wanted to get Sanders, but I still think they're going to get Oshawn Mathis, so that's going to help out a little bit, a little bit more of a heavier edge than what Sanders would have been. Would have loved Sanders, but so far, so good. I think last year, I mean, they addressed the need and went early and went with big-name programs, but guys that had just kind of been sitting there for the most part. I mean, Ovi got some action in, at Notre Dame, but we know about Ben Davis and, and the fact that he just hadn't played. So I think they're trying to balance that out, what you're talking about. Uh, you know, if you see if you see the, the 10 or the one that you obviously want at 930 at the bar, Oh, get out of there by 11. 
but sometimes you got to hang around till midnight one and you just don't want to be there when the lights come on at 150 and making a decision then the question is what does texas do with a six and a half at midnight <laughs> bathroom right that's the, that's the eternal question for all of us kevin yes you know it is it is there's always a bathroom but i'm not sure that that's gonna work with this comparison um <laughs> oh god yeah um i you just gotta evaluate well and that's been one of the biggest issues with texas for for a long time the evaluation process whether that's a high school kid and you're trying to project or in this case this should be easier because I say easier. I mean, if there's someone who's played well, if there's a Kenneth Walker, then you obviously go get them. But what you're trying to look for are guys that have maybe been in weird spots where they've been incredibly deep. I mean, Alabama did this perfectly when they went to go get Jamison Williams because he was the fourth receiver for Ohio State. So really, you got to understand the situation and the scenario and hopefully have some film to where you go, you know what, there's something there just hadn't been utilized. Yeah, that's how I felt about Drew Sanders. Um, maybe Oshawn Mathis, if we can land him, that's going to take some of the sting. Oshawn, Oshawn. Oshawn. I just, Oshawn. I'm saving us emails. I like the Oshawn, man. It sounds it sounds like a swim move he would use. It's a little extra swerve on his name. Puts <laughs> yeah. A little, puts, a little, puts a little something on it. What's up, Sean? Uh, Oshawn, I think he's more of a strong side defensive yes. end. Yep. I think Sanders would compliment him well as the as the rush end and also a guy who can – do a little bit, maybe dropping it into coverage or playing off ball occasionally. Um, I think that was a big miss. And missing on him to Arkansas is tough, but understandable, Kevin. Here's the reality. Texas yeah. fans are saying, hey, how the hell can a guy pick a program like Arkansas over Texas? Well, put the tape in. That's I think Sam Pittman put the tape in. And is that the, is that the fairest representation of Texas? Maybe, maybe not. But that happened. And it was one program that was more built up and, and tougher, certainly on that day, than the Texas Longhorns. And I think that probably made an impression on Sanders. Yeah, no, that was the tape in and say, this is the program, other program you're looking at. And look at our linebackers. Look at all the stuff we're doing. And he was running a lot of almost inverted Tampa 2 with three high. But linebackers were, were sprinting all over the place. And look, I mean – Obviously, I would take Texas over Arkansas, but if you take all that aside and just put that on film, I, I would have picked Arkansas. I think you're right. He also had a prior existing relationship with Arkansas. Okay. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just out of the blue. So, anyway, let's talk about the hits. Texas gets Jaleel Billingsley, uh, the very talented but sometimes troubled tight end out of Alabama. He spent – most of his time at Alabama in Nick Saban's doghouse. But when we did see him, we saw a very athletic move tight end, 6'4", 230, sort of in the Jay Novacek mold, you know, pure pass receiver, not really a plus blocker. Certainly a guy Steve Sarkeesian can use. What do we take about Billingsley? Is this a good opportunity for him to renew his college career? Is, is he going to get himself unscrewed and, and get after it? I, I think he's going to get some balls, but, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. He, he's not a good blocker. And so one of the problems is is that Sark has used so much too tight end, 12, but also just two tights in there um, whenever they're running the football. And the numbers show that. Going back, actually back to his last year at Alabama and certainly last year at Texas, and I think it just makes you it, – it, it makes you uh, one-dimensional, and it's pretty obvious what you're going to be running. So if he could improve at all as a blocker, you got to start there so you can actually have him on the field and not, uh, not give away exactly what you're doing. But, yeah, he's an athletic guy for sure. So they'll probably flex him out a little bit. You may see him on the inside of a, of a bunch. Uh, but I don't know, inline – Inline blocking and playing that actual position, I don't think he's two-dimensional enough to do that and to, to really bring something to the table. Now, I think he can as a receiver. We'll see how Sark uses him. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, I don't think Sark has any illusions that he's going to turn him into a classic inline blocker. You know, he's not, he's not Rob Gronkowski, dual threat kind of tight end. No. But he's a talented guy. He's a good pass catcher. He's very fluid. So, you know, I don't know what his 40 time is. I don't know about any of that stuff. I just know when he runs around, it looks easy. And guys like that are assets to an offense. 
The problem has been sort of his dedication to football. And I think highlighted the most when Alabama was really understaffed and needed viable pass catchers in the national title game against Georgia. That was a real opportunity for Billingsley to step up, and he didn't. No, he didn't. Um, well, if, if football's not his main interest, he's coming to the right program. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. On that note, let's switch to a guy I'm really excited about getting, and that is a cowboy. Not the cowboys that disappoint me every playoffs, but a Wyoming cowboy, Kevin. Yeah. Have you ever been to Laramie, Wyoming? I've never been. I've never been to Wyoming. You know what? It is a, a freaking gorgeous state. I've heard. It is. It is. Parts of it are windswept plains, uh, and it gets cold as hell. But have you ever seen the movie Wind River? No. If you get a chance, see that movie. It's very, very good. Um, but it's it's set in Wyoming, up in the the Wind River Range, and uh, very interesting movie. You should check it out. Worth your time. That's for goes for you as well, listeners. But yeah, old uh, Isaiah is a native Texan. This is the classic story, Kevin. He played a year of high school football, wasn't really a football first guy, grew into his body late, wasn't a coveted recruit, goes to Wyoming, and his second season with the Cowboys, he becomes their number one wide receiver by a, a long shot. And I'm going to give you some stats to highlight the degree to which this guy was their number one. Uh, I watched his film. I think you had the opportunity as well. He's about 6'3", 210. He's very long, very long arms. And what I noticed is he's not really beating people with speed. He's beating people with body control, positioning, and just going up and getting the ball. Yeah. No, he, he's pretty smooth, especially for that size. Uh, you're right. He, you can tell it's not, he's not separating with twitch. He's separating with route running, and, and he's almost, there's almost a little bit of an optical illusion with his size. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I think any viable pass-catching life form – opposite Xavier Worthy is going to help this football team immeasurably. And I think at the very minimum, Nair is that. And I think he might be much more than that. I think he might be a legit number two receiver. I'm pretty excited about it. You know, they missed out on Jacob Cowing, who's a different guy, a little bit smaller, and the kid from UTEP who ended up going to Arizona. And I really felt like they needed to hit hit that spot, at least with one. I know that, that there's a lot of other needs, and you only have so many transfer portal rides to give around. But I was hoping they'd get one with O'Meary and Whittington in their injury history. And, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see what Cowing does. But I think they got a good one here. I, I was um, – that is one thing I like, getting back to your original point. I think that they've – the guys they've gotten so far make a lot of sense as opposed to just getting three guys from big programs kind of playing around the same spot. Yeah, so Wyoming – most of you probably don't keep up with the old Wyoming Cowboys too much. But uh, Craig Bowles, the coach, they were a 500 team in their conference. And what's interesting about the team is they really struggled throwing the ball. And they had two quarterbacks that alternated, Sean Chambers and Levi Williams. Williams is the better of the two, but they didn't realize that till late in the year. So they threw a grand total, Kevin, of 15 touchdown passes. Guess how many Nair caught? Nine. 12. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so he had 44 catches for 878 yards, 12 touchdowns, 20 yards a catch, and he caught eight touchdowns over his last six games. And that's when Levi Williams began to play more. So I think not only did he have pretty good stats, but as a percentage represent representational percentage of the Wyoming Cowboy passing game, he was it. The second biggest receiver, or, or second most prolific receiver, I should say, for the Cowboys had 298 yards receiving. That says a lot. Big guy, too. Um, kind of on this subject, what are your expectations now with Troy O'Meary, with two years in a row being out? We've never seen him in a game. I think he's potentially really good. He just can't stay healthy. And, you know, everything I've ever heard from practice is that he's a real problem. He has a huge catch radius. He's not confident in his knee. And he's, he just needs, he's got to get over it. We got to have that Wayne McGarity late, you know, late, uh, or, or even of Jordan, course, famous, Jordan famous Shipley. Jordan Shipley. Yeah. We got to have that rally and we've got a history of it at Texas. You know, we've had some receivers who have rallied from early injuries, not seen the field. You know, Jordan Shipley was always the, Oh yeah, man, Shipley's good. Oh, and he's hurt. 
right? And, oh, this is never going to happen. And then it happened. His junior and senior years, it happened in a big way. And uh, when you get a chance to listen to, to uh, Kevin and I doing the top five Longhorn receivers of all time, we'll get into the greed at which Jordan Shipley happened. And then we'll also talk about Wayne McGarrity. So if you're a little younger and you don't know who that is, he was the number one receiver for Texas during Ricky's breakout with Major Applewhite and uh, an incredible deep threat. Played, played a few years in the league as well. But both guys who overcame early injuries came on late. That's what I'm hoping for Omire. And, you know, if you can get Omire out there along with Nair, along with Worthy, and then maybe one more speed guy can, can come, maybe, you know, Calvante Dixon can show a little more comfort with the playbook, then I think you've got a real receiving core. And uh, who knows what Billingsley can contribute as a uh, move tight end. Dixon was perplexing to me because Texas needed wide receivers, clearly, this year. And the little rainbow crosser that Dixon caught in the bowl game the year before, I know you had heard good things about him. I know how connected you are. And I, I was really surprised that we, we, we didn't see him at all. The, the word on the street <laughs> is that he has difficulty diagnosing defenses and knowing what routes to run. And there's ways around that. Look, Des Bryant played in the NFL. <laughs> and yeah, I hear you giggling. If, if you gave Des Bryant the SAT, he would eat the Scantron. <laughs> right? And, and misspell Des? Yes, he would misspell Des. He would misspell Cat if you spotted him the C and the T. That's the, the famous Hollywood Henderson one set of Terry Bradshaw. He's like, that cat's so dumb. If you gave him... He can't spell the word cat if you gave him the C and the T. <laughs> so uh, not a rocket scientist, Kevin, but Dez played pretty long in the NFL and was pretty prolific, and they found ways to overcome it. Now, his route tree was two routes, <laughs> but right. it was pretty effective. You know, they've got – we're having some levity about it. I, I don't know. Some people – look, it's not just a question of IQ, right? No. There's a lot of really smart guys. If you put them on a football field, they're utterly paralyzed. Right. And right. there's a lot of guys who are not academic geniuses, who are athletic geniuses, and they just get the game at a deep level. So maybe it's something where the light comes on for Dixon, but maybe the staff needs to put something in place for him where he could become a viable guy who can at least run one or two routes. Yeah, I see that. And then obviously Whittington. We know, I mean, we saw really what Whittington can bring this year. He's just got to stay healthy, and it just feels like there's always some type of issue with him, with the core. But, yeah, it's shaping up with Nayer to come in to be to be a pretty good receiving core. Uh, not, not one of the best in the country, for sure. But, as you said, it all starts with Xavier Worthy, and then you build around that. What you don't want is a bunch of rolling coverages, double coverage, and people allowing to use their personnel to – just shut him down or to stop him and because they're not worried about whoever else is out there. This should open up other stuff for other people. Yeah, you know, so Steve Sarkeesian's want, his bent over time, it evolved, right? So early in his time at USC, he had a bunch of big receivers, big possession guys, right? Yeah. Uh, Patrick Turner, guys like that. Mike Williams, the USC Mike Williams. These were big possession receivers, 6'3", 210, 215, big bodies. Um, you know, they shield guys off. You get them open through route running and, and through running the proper scheme, right? Then he finally got some speed at Alabama. And then Sarkeesian is like, whoa, whoa, this is the way to do it, right? Just have speed everywhere. Who cares about the traditional, like, well, you need one big guy. You need one fast guy. You, you need one intermediate guy, right? Like people try to sort of build a receiver core that way. Sarkeesian was kind of like, no, no, just make everyone real fast and real quick and then make it the defense's problem. We don't need the big body possession guy. So he may dust off some parts of the old USC playbook. If you get a healthy O'Meary, if you get a healthy, you know, Isaiah Nair, obviously. And then Worthy, of course, is still going to be the number one guy. But, you know, there might be a little bit of a more possession aspect to the passing game. And the, the one shots will be dealt up, you know, to Worthy. But Hey, man, if Nayer can, can win balls down the field at a higher level of competition, obviously Sark will do that. But I don't know, just something to keep your eye on in terms of the playbook and how he manages the offense. Totally agree. Um, yeah, so we mentioned Mathis. O'Shawn Mathis is a guy they have to get. We know how tough the edge has been. I agree he's more strong side. 
He's a bigger guy. I want to say he's 260 around there. Yeah, he's about 6'5", 260. And they, they've got to fix the edge. The other one I'll continue to say, because I said it last year and it came true, um, look at the offensive line. Do not rely on Kelvin Banks and getting DJ Campbell and Cole Hudson or whoever, who uh, I'm sure they're all going to be really good players. And a couple of those guys are probably going to have to play even if you bring someone into the portal. Let's not forget all five guys were replaceable for a serious power uh, power five offensive line. I'm with you. I am, I'm 100% with you. I, I, I love the O-line class that they're bringing in, and I think De- Devon Campbell is going to be part of it when he finally commits in early February. Counting on those guys to start and salvage the line, I mean, it's not fair. It's not fair to a freshman. And I, I just think if you have the opportunity to take a high-level offensive lineman who's experienced some fifth-year guy, look, Oklahoma State and Baylor both did it. Baylor especially, right? 40% of their offensive line was fifth and sixth year graduate transfers. And they use that to stabilize their O-line and win the Big 12. So I think we can take a little advice from Aranda and his roster construction there. Uh, and that if you have the opportunity to improve the position that is the most numerous position on a football field, it's five-year 22 starters on offense and defense, you should always try to upgrade your offensive line. And uh, you should always try to upgrade your staff and your coaching. And yes. it looks like Texas may be trying to do that with Mr. Gary Patterson. Yes, before we get there, one more guy, Lorenzo McCaskill, who's a linebacker from Louisiana. We saw him. He led the team in tackles, and he's got his eyes on Texas. And I, I, my guess is that's going to happen, too. He was quoted as saying, we played Texas the first game of the season, and I like the environment in Austin. Uh, I definitely connected with a lot of them. So I, my guess is they're going to get him. They're going to get Mathis and and just try and figure that out. And then at that point, it's about getting some other eyes on the defense, and that gets to Gary Patterson. Well, the great thing about that Louisiana game is it kind of worked for us the way Arkansas worked for Sam Pittman on the Drew Sanders deal, right. which is Louisiana only won, lost one game all year, and they come into Austin when we're all program, and and Texas, you know, kick their ass, right? And, and so I think – he has an elevated notion of what Texas is and by God, let's, let's let it play in our favor. Yeah. He said it's one of America's teams. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. I just would have put that film in. I wouldn't have showed him anything else. Be like, well, you saw it, but we want to show you again. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely need help at linebackers. So McCaskill is a guy to look at. We thought this was going to happen with Gary Patterson. And then we're watching the basketball game and you see him wearing a longhorn polo and it's like, okay, I guess this is definitely going to happen. How impactful could this be? I don't know, but what I know of Patterson, I think he's fairly opinionated. Would you say? Yes, that's fair. I don't think I don't think he's a shrinking violet. And if he sees something that's driving him apeshit in what we're doing or how we're conducting the program, I think he'll say something to Sark. Now, I hope he does it in a a. Uh, I hope he maneuvers. I hope it's not a full frontal assault. And, and make Sark feel defensive. I hope he maneuvers a little bit and flanks and, and maybe ask Sark to think about something and, and see if he can lead him in a Socratic way to the proper answer rather than blurting the proper answer and yelling at him. Uh, we'll see. But I think his job is to sort of look at every aspect of the program and offer suggestions based on his experience. And then secondarily, let's, let's be real, Kevin. This is your backup DC hire. Oh, yeah. Maybe temporary, maybe temporary, maybe to fill in. Maybe if you have to fire Pete Kwiatkowski mid-year, you know, this is your guy. You go plug in. Is that right? Yeah. No, I mean, rest in peace. It just happened recently. Uh, But Greg Robinson, the second time, was brought in, remember, as a consultant. And then all of a sudden we got to, uh, who was that? Was that Manny Diaz, I think, Getting getting all my DCs mixed up. And then he jumps in, actually did a pretty good job. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that. Saban does a good job with that. So, I, I love the hire. I mean, risk-reward. What's the risk? Is he going to come in here and, and destroy the program? No. Um, Worst-case scenario, he just doesn't help out that much. But but best-case scenario, or even average scenario, he comes in and, and gives a different pair of eyes. I mean, he was one of those coaches. He was one of the kryptonites that we look at the last 10 years and – you would just shake your head after Texas played TCU because he had obviously scouted Texas 
better than Texas had scouted Texas. Well, and talk about head-to-head matchups. You know, fans tend to think that the state of another program is based on how they played Texas. And what I was always trying to hammer is that TCU had fallen off. This was a 500 team in the Big 12 over the last four or five years. Texas gave him a couple extra years. I mean, honestly, beating Texas extended Patterson's life. You know how we you know we know that, Paul? Because we lost because he lost and they fired him. (laughs) Yeah, yes. But Gary also said that a couple years ago. Remember? I do remember that. (laughs) He said remember another game where he beat us. Where they said, oh, you know, you had a bunch of guys injured. You know, how did you pull this off? And he goes, he goes, I, uh, what was the exact quote? He's like, I've beaten better with less. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> Salt in the wound. Oh, and you know what? It stings a little, but you just could kind of shake your head and go, all right, well, if, if something's true, I can't get too mad about it. That's why it hurts so much. Yes, that's exactly. If someone's like, hey, Paul, uh, you're getting kind of fat. And I'm like, whoa. And I look at a picture of myself. I'm like, oh, all right. Time to uh, time to go to Jenny Craig, Kevin. Yes. Yeah, but, but if someone said, Paul, you're not as good looking as you used to be, you wouldn't take it seriously because you can look in the mirror. You see what's there. <laughs> Come on, man. You've, you've seen it. I mean, it's just it's, it's tough to pass up, I'm sure. The ladies must be dying. Sometimes I catch you just looking at me like, (laughs) and I'm like, Kevin, man, hey, don't make it obvious, buddy. Right. That's usually because you just said something really stupid, but. Yeah, that's also part of it. That is part of it as well. So so I'm I'm excited about this, man. About Gary coming. I'm excited. You know, I I wonder if Gary's going to be a bull in a china shop or, you know, I'm just curious to see what the fit looks like. Look, he's a ball coach and Sark. Sark at his core is a ball coach. You know, he's not like a, a bullshit dude, right? Right. I mean, he likes to talk football. I think he'll he's he's I think he has some self-knowledge. I think he likes shooting straight and being shot straight with. So I don't think this is like Gary Patterson coming in to advise Mac Brown, which would be, you know, <laughs> hilarious. I would love to see that. Oh, yeah, with Mac, you obviously had to put on the gloves and be a little careful and um, Mac could get sensitive with that stuff. You know, getting back to your point, I hope Sark won't be. I hope Sark is bringing him in, and this is just not a move to appease fans um, and bring a guy in that may be able to help. Really put him to work and say, no, I want you to bust our balls. I want you to look at our team throughout the year like you would have if you were still wearing purple. Well, it, that is such a great point because one thing, I mean, God, if you revive all my postmortems that I've written on Inside Texas, now part of the On3 network, y'all should go join. Man, I always used to just ask, do we self-scout? Yeah. Like, do we do any self-scouting? And the potential with Gary Patterson is we're going to have an in-house dude who is, he's all about making a game plan. I mean, you know, Gary Patterson has his things that he likes to do, but he game plans for the opponent. And now deprived of all the other head coach responsibilities and obligations, he can really just be a film head and self-scout and tear Texas apart, particularly from a defensive perspective. And I think that's going to help not only Pete Kwiatkowski if he's open to the feedback, but it could really help Steve Sarkeesian because Gary Patterson can say, hey, you keep tipping this off with formation. Why don't you think about and and I think that's really helpful to have in the house. I do. And I just hope that Gary doesn't fall under the same trap that so many players and even coaches we've talked about it have with the great city of Austin. I know he's got a burgeoning I want to make sure he's not like at Cactus Cafe four nights out of the week. Yeah, that is the concern, right? I mean, the joke <laughs> I made was that Gary Patterson, you need to bet against him because he released a country album. He learned the names of his kids. He's like traveling to Florence, Italy in the summer with his wife. Like he's talking to his wife. They're sleeping in the same bed. I don't like any of that bullshit in the head coach. No, no, I will give you credit. You actually nailed this on the pod when we talked about take a step back and you laid it out like that. You said, man, he's not long to be a head coach. Hey, I did want to bring up something too. That's another interest of mine. And this was actually an idea sent to me by uh, the great Ian Boyd. Nice. X's, X's and O's explainer, uh, non-parel. He's, he's awesome at what he does at Inside Texas. And Ian 
was looking at an old presentation at a clinic that Gary Patterson did. And one of Patterson's core beliefs is that the whole purpose of the offseason for the players, for strength and conditioning, is lift heavy weights and get strong and spend that 12 to 16 weeks really working on getting your strength, your power, all that stuff up. And then you can focus on some of the other stuff in season and, you know, and, and just refining your abilities and, and obviously maintaining that strength. But there may be a, a little bit of a little bit of choice feedback for the Texas program from Patterson. So I'm curious to see what that what happens with that. I mean, we've been yo-yoing all over the place, and that's what happens when you have so many different coaches that come in. But you talked about it with this last – I mean, Tom Herman was, you know, how much you deadlift and how much you squat, and he would come back with that. Under Charlie Strong, they weren't squatting. I mean, it just seems like it's been all over the damn place. But as you've talked about, there's not as much separation between agility or endurance and then also strength and – flexibility was something that's been thrown in there. A lot of those things can combine together. Exactly. People try to segment because they think of strength as the little short fat guy at Gold's Gym right. who just does bench three times a week. Uh, and he's like, he wears lifting gloves instead of developing calluses like a man. <laughs> right. And it's only going, it's really only going up two inches because he's, he's banging it off his chest and his arms are so short. His triceps just really have to lock out. Well, and the, with the amount of steroids he's on, there's also other stuff that's only going up two inches as well. <laughs> that's fair. And you would know that I wouldn't. That guy represents strength. That that's not what strength is. Strength is the underpinning of every other athletic attribute. Okay. And I, I have a whole podcast about this. If y'all are interested, you can go listen to it. Uh, it was before the season. I released it in August called Is Strength Ever a Weakness? And it's it's a really important thing to talk to talk about and for people to understand. And what's weird about it is there's a lot of strength and conditioning coaches who don't really understand that. And they really hide behind the quality of the athlete that they receive. And they think that they caused that. They think that they built that. They think that... They, when they get a guy with a 30 inch vertical leap and that guy's athletic, they think they created that athleticism. That guy's parents created that, that kid's athleticism. Your job is to augment it. And the easiest win, the easiest victory for a strength and conditioning coach is to get that guy stronger. Right. No, it should be. It should be. So, so how would you tackle this offseason when you look at Texas and think about strength, flexibility, endurance, um, health has to be something. How would you tackle it? That is a great question. And that's a whole other podcast because there's not an easy, quick, glib answer, but larger point is there is a time between the end of the season and before spring ball where you should have your program focus built on strength gains. Conditioning will happen and conditioning happens very quickly, actually. You can, you can get yourself conditioned and lose your conditioning very quickly. Strength takes a little time to build, but the good thing about strength is it's a persistent adaptation. You don't have to do much to maintain your strength level. You have to do a lot to maintain your conditioning level and to build it up, but you can do it very quickly. So when you have these tranches of time in the program, and one of the key ones is, is basically January 1 until the start of spring, spring ball, you need to be focused for those three months like a laser beam on getting your guys as strong as possible. And so that's that should be the focus. As far as a, a bigger, like how would you craft a program, there's another tranche of time in the summer before the fall camp where you need to have a similar focus. But then obviously in season, you're just, you're working on maintenance. And then obviously you want to practice your skill. You know, you want to you wanna practice catching a football, throwing a football, running around, sprinting, moving laterally. You want to do all that stuff. But if that's all you do, you're not going to really improve yourself because most of that is a is a reflection of your natural athleticism that you brought anyway. It's it's very difficult to build someone's speed or agility without getting them stronger. That's just reality. Good stuff, man. I could hear you talk about that all day. You're so knowledgeable about it and um hopefully Texas hopefully Texas can kind of combine all that and find more of a of a right balance with what they're doing. Hey, let me ask you about Gary Patterson and Pete Kwiatkowski. 
because these are two great defensive minds. And I know Texas fans may hear that and laugh and be like, great defensive mind? Are you kidding me? And, uh, they looked like crap last year. He's in too high the whole time against Arkansas. He doesn't make the adjustment. Uh, they, they were trying to be too cute pre-snap with their secondary, and the rotations were slow, and guys were out of place. There's a lot of things that didn't look good. Kwiatkowski, in his time, has been a really good defensive mind. Both guys are are older. How do you think those two could work together? Because if you get them on the same page and they're going back and forth, that could maybe be the issue we have with coordination on the back end with Terry Joseph. And it may not may not be Terry Joseph. It may be a Kwiatkowski issue, but that marriage didn't work in year one. Yeah, I'm a pretty strong believer you can't really have a marriage at the coordinator level. I think you have to have a clear hierarchy of who's in charge. Or you have to have a clearly delineated, you're in charge of X, I'm in charge of Y. And as long as Pete doesn't feel like he's being threatened, I think he should be open to to feedback. He doesn't strike me as a high ego guy. I don't know him, but... What I've seen of his interviews and just heard about him, he seems like a guy who's open to talking, right, and and hearing feedback. And then Patterson, you know, however he might have fallen off at TCU, I think people have a lot of respect for him, particularly as a defensive mind. So I think if they can find a commonality of, of sort of definition of roles and Patterson's like, hey, man, I'm not here to take your job. I'm not here to, like, you know, backstab you. I, I'm I'm burnt out. I'm not interested in being a coach right now. I'm here just to kind of help you out. If there's something you want me to take a look at, please run it by me. I might have a thought for you here and there. Is that cool? And if Pete can accept that, I think they can have a a good working relationship. But Pete needs to be in charge or Gary needs to be in charge. And I think right now Pete's going to be in charge. And I think as long as that's, you know, there's some clear boundaries, I think it can work. But, you know, ultimately it's going to really depend on them sort of meshing and, and, you know, them both being open to the feedback. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall because I'm sure this will happen. Maybe it already has. When they go through, all right, let's look at the personnel. You know, the guys you know. What would you do with Keandre Coburn? How would you utilize Alfred Collins? What about yep. Overshone? What do you think of Deshaun Jameson? All that. Well, you know what's very interesting, and it's funny. It's stuff i had been writing – for a year, and certainly during the season, looks like they're going to try Anthony Cook at safety. Okay, I can see that. Which makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. This is best tackler. He's got some awareness. And we're having huge issues at safety. Nickel has a pretty defined role in the Kwiatkowski defense. And another guy can play it. Particularly, you know, I think Jaron Thompson is, is, the, is the guy they want to put there. Go put Cook at safety. See if you can improve that position. Also, Jet Bush. They're going to move him off the edge and put his motor and his diagnostic skills at off-the-ball linebacker. Mm. So I don't expect him to start there, but at least he can be reasonable depth. And frankly, that's his natural position. That's what he played in high school. That's what he's best at. He's not going to get swallowed up by offensive tackles anymore. And, uh, yeah, I know. So at least they're seeing some of the same things I'm seeing, and it makes me feel better. Speaking of safety, getting back to the transfer portal, we didn't hit this. Georgia safety Latavius Brenny entered the transfer portal, and Texas is on that list. So that could be another safety that you bring in to uh, to try and help out. You've got, obviously, I'm hoping Terrence, Terrence Brooks can come in at cornerback. You've got the Ohio State kid coming in. The secondary's got to get better. A lot of things have to get better, but it's about – using the personnel you have here already, maybe putting them in better spots, coaching them up a little bit better, putting them in better spots with scheme and play calling, and then also using that transfer portal to come in. Um, you know, and I, I know you look at it and you look at all these guys that aren't playing at certain spots and can maybe come in here and start right away. We talked about Billingsley earlier. That's where the Texas program is. So you are there are leftovers or things, scraps that aren't going to be touched by those schools that could be a good meal for us. Hey, I've heard uh, that Ryan Watts, the Ohio State cornerback transfer, yep, that is coming to Texas. Obviously, that happened a while back. He apparently looks pretty good, and I think they've got plans for him. So whether that's at cornerback. Cool. At nickel or at safety, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a, a big part of the conversation in the spring. His size would tell you you could play around with him a little bit. He's a big dude. 
And obviously, if he's gonna if you're gonna put him at corner, you need to have something that's complementary to that, right? He's not gonna turn and run and on an island and single man with good speed receivers and consistently win. But you could let him get his hands on people and, and give him a cover over the top. He's interesting. But his size and his physicality and his length, I think that could be really interesting at nickel or safety if they want to take him, you know, have an audition there. I agree. Totally agree. Um, all right. Anything else with UT football? No, but, you know, UT football is on the move. If you're on the move in the Sentex area, reach out to Laura Baker. She's a part of the Keller Williams teams at Andy, uh, probably Andy Allen team at Keller Williams. And uh, she's uh, a lot more smooth than I am in <laughs> extolling her virtues, but she's great at what she does. Look, I've talked about Pareto's principle. I've talked about that top 10%. The top 10 and 20% of realtors do 80 and 90% of the business. She's in that top 20, 10 and 20%. Uh, and there's a reason for it. She's hardworking, extremely motivated, and very sharp. She gets the market. She understands it. She knows how to tell the story for your house. And on the other side, on the buy side, she knows how to identify the rare opportunities that still do exist in Centex. Reach out to her. Give her a call at 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. Hey, maybe you're a high net worth individual. And you're going to use Lara and then uh, do your jumbo loan with Gabe. And uh, that would be a nice uh, synergy between our two sponsors. I can add to that. Take that money and go to David McClellan, fiduciary financial advisor. He's from Forum Financial. Really sharp guy. Really good guy. And talk about understanding your industry. He definitely does that. He's seen it from every angle. He's been at Forum for a long time. So uh, it's not like he's just started there. He definitely knows what he's doing with retirement planning, financial life coaching, but I do like anyone when you're in an industry and you've kind of seen every side. It uh, it gives you a little bit more. David can help you understand your financial freedom number. Maybe some things you could be doing differently to help build your wealth and achieve financial freedom faster. That is what we're all trying to do. Uh, like I said, really smart guy. Won a couple national championships as a swimmer at Texas. And he's going to give you a free consultation, which is pretty cool. Free consultation. If you if you like what you hear and don't want to move forward, that's fine. If you don't like what you hear, I doubt that's going to be the case. Um, well, you may not like what you hear, but that's going to be on you. David's going to help you out. He's a really, really straight shooter and just a really bright guy. Give him a call, 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or McClellan at formfinfin.com. Ready to talk about your boys here? No. I'm not. I know you're not. Uh, look, tech, uh, the Cowboys have been 4-11 and in the playoffs since 1996. Obviously, those four wins coming under the brilliant leadership of Barry Switzer, who took all of Jimmy Johnson's players, and Troy Aikman led him to the Super Bowl. And then, of course, it all unraveled and fell apart after that. And since Jimmy Johnson's departure, with eh, a little bit of past his prime, Bill Parcells accepted – they have not had a winning culture in that building, a true winning culture. They've had talent. They've had good players. They've had promise. They've had hope. They've sold the dream to fools like me who started to buy in this year. This could be the year. And ultimately, you go out there, and on one sideline, it's Kyle Shanahan, a real football coach. And on the other sideline, it's Mike McCarthy, a mall cop. <laughs> some Paul and Paul Bart action. I understand Debo Samuel is amazing. I understand Bosa is awesome. I understand uh, the Niners have good depth and a lot of very good players on the defensive line. Truth is, Kevin, if you switch coaches, Kyle Shanahan wins that game for Dallas by two touchdowns. Oh, I don't know about two, but I think they win. I mean, that was definitely a mismatch. And what Shanahan did is he understood what he has and what he doesn't have. And, man, he was going to find ways. And he's done it really all year. Uh, Debo was essentially a tailback. I mean, this was not uh, wingback reverses. This was uh, a tailback, and they were going to utilize his talent because that was the advantage San Francisco had. And he would have understood that advantage coaching Dallas to where the San Francisco secondary cannot keep up with the Dallas wideouts. And Troy Aikman was really critical of that. I know this week that Michael Irvin would have had 10 catches at half. They were giving you uh, easy, easy hook routes, out routes. 
take that. Niners play a bunch of zone. They don't like to play man because they know they can't play man because their secondary is not that good. So, yeah, I think that's fair, man. It's frustrating. I know it is. I mean, I'm a Niner fan, but living in Austin all this time, this is kind of sad for you, too. I hated the Cowboys growing up. Hated those 90s Cowboys uh, because they were winning. And I don't hate the Cowboys anymore. And it's been a quarter century. Now, I watch them. I watch every single game and have to because of my job. And sometimes you can kind of fall fall for someone that way just because you're around them all the time. But it, it's frustrating because this is also feels like a window. And they're about to get to that Zeke contract to where it's really going to cripple them. They're going to cut Zeke probably in a year. They can't, they can't this year because the contract just starts. But they got to start looking at being smarter with stuff because it'll 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 widen that window as opposed to where this window feels like it's just right now. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get too big picture there, but I've been talking about this a lot, so I've got you're right. I've got a million ideas in my correct. head, man. So we can I can bag on Mike McCarthy. You know how they uh, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but go for it. You know how they're, they're trying to sort out who dies from COVID and who died with COVID. Yeah. Cause those are very different things. Yeah. There, right? there, there was someone that, that fell down and ended up getting a concussion. And then I think it was uh bleeding in the brain and, but they had COVID and they listed them as a COVID death. I'm like, I'm not sure yeah. that was it right there. That's happening. Uh, and a lot of COVID positives are happening because someone came into the ER for the broken leg and they are administering COVID tests by protocol and saying, oh, did you know you had COVID? And they're asymptomatic. And they go, oh, no. And then so they're suddenly listed as a COVID case that was hospitalized. So I don't want to get into all that. The point is Mike McCarthy. The thought was, look, the Green Bay Packers are immensely successful. Mike McCarthy's the head coach. He won a Super Bowl. Therefore, Mike McCarthy must be a very good, possibly great coach, right? Look at all the wins he has. That's flawed logic, man. This is an example of the Packers winning with Mike McCarthy, not from Mike McCarthy. <laughs> and so it's, I think we know now that it's Aaron Rodgers. That's the ingredient. And uh, before that, it was Brett Favre. Right. So McCarthy, I mean, look, the Cowboys, 14 penalties. If you were surprised by that, well, the Cowboys are the most penalized team in the league. So you shouldn't be. They had idiotic game management decisions. And as you said, the Troy Aikman criticism, which was very good, which basically said, look, we can make this game overly complex, which is we have all these offensive coordinators who want to run system, 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 system. I'm looking out there and the Niners are starting a subpar corner against CeeDee Lamb. Just throw the ball to CeeDee Lamb. I don't care what the system says or what the read says against this zone coverage. Run a 12-yard route and let your best player get open against an inferior player. And... Kellen Moore wasn't able to do that. But ultimately, that's game management. That goes back to Mike McCarthy. But the biggest ultimate picture, the biggest picture of all is Jerry Jones. And that's what this is all about. Because Mike McCarthy's there because he's non-threatening. He's a mall cop. And Jerry Jones has his players. Back in the, the old days with Al Davis and the Raiders, when Davis really lost his fastball, the joke was that Al Davis had certain players that were on scholarship. <laughs> and what they meant was, he had certain hand-picked players that were his, his pets, and you could not mess with them. In fact, you couldn't coach them, much less take them off the field, even when they were sucking. And I think you see that with Jerry Jones and some of his players. I think you see that with Jerry Jones paying Ezekiel Elliott, which every bright person knows you don't give a running back like Zeke a second contract. No, especially, Jerry did. especially two years before his first one's up. Exactly. And what happened? I what mean, happened? Zeke was threatening. And, and the Cowboys caved in. I, I would have done what San Diego did uh, and just said, no, F off. Well, and the thing is, you still have enough dumb GMs in the league that someone will still trade for them. You could still get value. It's right. not like you just have to cut exactly. them from the team. Now, not now with the contract, but back then they would have for sure. Yes, of course. He was cheap. And, and I promise you, Zeke. Probably doesn't have David McClellan working for him. No. Not a, <laughs> if, you, if you had a chance to see Hard Knocks and, and listen to him talk and listen to his stoner la- uh, laugh that he has, uh, I promise you Zeke, Zeke is living paycheck to paycheck. So, I, I like Zeke. Zeke seems like a, a fun guy, though. I'll give him that. 
He's a fun guy. I'm not obligated to pay my fun guys and let him ransom my my program. No, 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 you're not. A um, couple other things. So, you know, the last play, we can get into that, the draw. Uh, you, 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 you just don't call that there because you can't depend on the officials or the umpires, or the umpire in that case, to be uh, – to, to to play that perfectly, and they certainly didn't. But you have to give yourself – you have to allot yourself some extra time. So when you do practice that in practice, one, make sure that they've got to reset the ball uh, because that is part of it. But also give yourself a couple extra seconds for a guy who's not in position and is an older guy who's trying to bust his ass down there and may bump into Dak. We can get into that. Before we do, though, for me – the, the dumbest thing they did, now that meant more because the game, the season was on the line. The fake punt, which was fine, but then the hurry up and, yeah. get, and milking the clock when you shouldn't be doing that, and then you put yourself in that position, what the hell were they doing? Talk about overthinking it. Well, that was two instances where the, the coaching staff and the players didn't know the rules. Yeah. Okay? So in that, they thought that San Francisco was obligated to keep out their punt team, Right. And they're not. And the second instance with, with Dak, yeah, you could try to put it on the ump. It's not on the ump. If you know that the ump has to touch the ball to spot it, Dak should be seeking out the umpire to hand him the ball and escort him to do that. In addition, you don't make the call because the Niners should have just laid on Dak Prescott and not let him up at all. Um, you know, that, and the, the clock runs out. But it was idiotic. At, at every level. And it's really just a good example of the, the disparity in levels of head coach. And Shanahan's just a much better coach than Mike McCarthy. But the truth is, Kyle Shanahan would never coach for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not going to deal with an egotistical owner who's got his own radio show, who feels like he has to sit in every player meeting and, and offer his two cents, what we're trying to do here. And it's like, Hey, man, there needs to be one voice to this football team. It needs to be the head coach. And I think Jerry Jones prevents other coaches who are real coaches from taking the Dallas job. And I don't think he liked how he was treated by Bill Parcells and doesn't want to repeat that. It is his fantasy team at the end of the day. And yes, it is. It's no, his fantasy, it's his fantasy team. And for a, a lot of y'all, it's it's not your life, but it's more than a fantasy team. This is part of who I am and, and part of what I love, and it's killing me watching it. Going back to Hard Knocks, did you, do you remember whenever they were going through cuts and Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones are meeting with Mike McCarthy and Jerry's giving him his two cents about guys? Yeah, I really like that guy. I, I don't care if you really like that guy. You're not a football guy. And you may not like someone and we keep them and you may like someone and, and, and we get rid of them. This is not, you hired me. Let me do what I do. And you hit the nail on the head. They're always going to be, they're always going to have issues getting a real high level coach because of that. Could you imagine Robert Kraft walking into Bill Belichick's <laughs> cut room? And he's like, uh, Bill, I, I just left. I just got a massage. I feel great. And uh, just want to give my two cents on who I think you should keep around. Like, could you imagine just the Belichick stare oh. and just sort of like, uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. That's right. not what we're trying to do, Mr. Kraft. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> go back to that two-star massage parlor. <laughs> well, you know, the funniest Belichick story I heard is um, they had just won a really big game. It was a big upset. And uh, he goes up to the team. And he's like, uh, all right, guys, that's, that was a big one. That was a good one. There's some stuff we got to work on. Hey, look, you're going to go out there and the press and the fans, they're going to want to give you a bag of hand jobs. But uh, it's, your job not, it's your job not to take it. Okay. Ready, team, on three. <laughs> a bag of hand jobs. I've never heard that one. Yeah, I never did. I, I thought that was great. And I mean, it's actually not that enticing, but I love that that's like the most exciting thing Bill <laughs> Belichick can think of. <laughs> uh, here's the other thing about the Cowboys is that there is definitely a lot of talent. And I was with you. I mean, early on. Hey, I was trying to transition out of the Cowboys, you jerk. Are you going to make me suffer another five minutes? No, just, uh, just a couple more. 
Um, no, I'm just joking. Go ahead. But but they've got they've got a lot of individual talent. They've got some sexy, splashy players that that will gamble and make plays. Uh, you know, they've got 22 unrestricted uh, unrestricted free agents. But I just kind of wonder how much at the end of the day, how much of this was really a team as opposed to individuals making plays. I don't know. It's hard to say. What what Notre Dame player should they draft to solve their problems? Uh, Kyle Hamilton. You're not going to get well, Kyle. Well, he's not going to be available. You're not going to get Kyle Hamilton. I tell you what I would do, and I was on this for a lot of the year. I think we get caught in – we just get caught in the last couple of years, and you don't even mean to. So the Cowboys' offensive line was overrated for a lot of the year. And save the email. I know you want to email right now when you hear that and go, PFF rated them the number one offensive line throughout the whole regular season. I know they did. PFF grades don't mean everything. Some of that is their competition, which definitely with the NFC East was not good, and that was exposed as the Cowboys played better teams. But really what you have is you've got an all-pro right guard. You've got a center who had a 64 grade. You got a left guard who shouldn't be there as much as we like him. And then you've got a left tackle who was an all pro and was a big time player who is deteriorating to some degree. I'm not sure how much, but he's not the same guy. Tyrone Smith had a really good year if you look at his grade. If you look at him against really good defensive ends and war daddies, and some of that could be the injury that he had, the I think foot injury that he had the last couple weeks, you got to look at that. And you got to look at Lyle Collins, who got picked up and thrown back into the backfield. I understand the Niners have a really good defensive line. But what we're talking about with the Cowboys right now is not about winning the NFC East. It's about trying to get back to the Super Bowl, or at least the NFC Championship game. So you have to expect you're going to be facing war daddies and defensive lines like that. I think they got to rebuild the offensive line. And in the Colts, the Chiefs, have showed us that you can do that pretty quickly if you draft the right guys. If Tyler Linderbaum is available when the Cowboys pick at 24, whatever it is, 25, the center from Iowa, All-American high school wrestler, former defensive lineman, he's the best Iowa lineman I've ever seen. And I know you've got Biotish, but I would go best player available, and if that guy's an offensive lineman at that spot, i grab him. Well, they say this draft uh, is deep at offensive line. So it is. It's possible. It's very possible. And people are always going to prioritize tackles over interior linemen. So possible, very possible. Yeah, the issue I have partly too is schematic. And, you know, it's kind of back to the Aikman thing of the, the coordinators emphasizing scheme over matchup. And that's Bosa is awesome. Okay. He's just awesome. Yeah. And if you let him line up in a wide nine, and just sprint up the field in a track stance, which he was doing the entire game until he got dinged up. And then, by the way, Charles Amenahu came in for him, did the same thing, ended up with one and a half sacks and three quarterback hits and about two quarters of play. If you're allowing that and not exploiting that by either the running game or altering some of the pass protection, hey, ultimately that's on you. It's not just on your offensive tackle. It's not just football's not just a series of one-on-one matchups. And to your point, it feels like they not only are a team of individuals, they're coaching them as a team individuals. Yeah. And it's like, well, win your one-on-one matchups and then we can win the game. And it's like, well, no. If a dude is awesome and he's also lined up in a track stance out near the sideline getting a head start sprint at me, I need a little help, even if I'm a good player. That's fair. Yeah, and at that point, utilize Zeke with the only thing he does really well, at least anymore. Block. Block. Uh, I I thought we would see more chipping. Uh, You know, the tight ends don't do a lot with the blocking, but you can still keep them in and help out a lot. Yeah, that wide nine, Charles had talked about that. It took a little while for him to to really understand the nuances of that, but he's got it down now. He does. I was really proud of him. I was really happy to see him. Did you see how thick he's gotten? Yeah, he's he's gotten really thick. He's a good, what, 280 now? Yeah, 280, still can move. And, uh, you know, the Niners knew that they were loaded there. D Ford was already on the IR, but that's just such an important spot for them. They're going to have a surplus, and they're going to expect certain guys to go down. They're going to make sure that no matter who goes down, whoever's coming in is a pretty good player on the defensive line, specifically defensive end. 
Well, Menahu's now 6'6", 280. I seem to remember a too skinny high school junior who weighed 217 at a junior day named Chuck Amenahu. Turns out it's the same guy. And uh, big athletic dudes who are willing to eat food and lift weights can get real, real strong and maintain their athleticism. Amazing, huh, Kevin? Yeah, it is. Ethan Burke. Just remember that. That's the hope. All right, that's going to do it for us. we got Texas basketball coming up. i got to watch that and get out of here so they can uh, get all that stuff set up, man. Always fun talking. I promise you I'm not going to drill you with the Cowboys next week. All right, well, I uh, they drill me every week, so <laughs> it wouldn't, I'm used to it. Well, just make <laughs> all right, guys, I'll take care. Support our sponsors. Please rank, uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen. We appreciate you. We'll see you soon.